Listeners, there's honestly nothing I love more than a good writing retreat, especially one that comes with solid coaching and the chance to meet other writers who are working on similar projects. This fall, three Author Accelerator certified book coaches are offering what sounds like a dream retreat if what you're working on is telling your own story. It's called Mainly Memoir, and it's a retreat for women writers in historic Biddeford, Maine. Mainly Memoir will provide three days in the gorgeous Maine woods in September, with one-on-one coaching both before, during, and after the retreat. It is the perfect opportunity to give yourself the gift of time and focus so that you can make real progress on your memoir this year. Mainly Memoir will be held from September 21st through 24th, 2023. A scholarship is available for a memoirist from a community that has been traditionally underrepresented in publishing. Learn more at MainlyMemoir.com, and as you've probably guessed, Mainly is spelled M-A-I-N-E-L-Y. So that's Maine the State, MainlyMemoir.com. Is it recording? Now it's recording. Yay! Go ahead. This is the part where I stare blankly at the microphone. Try to remember what I'm supposed to be doing. All right, let's start over. Awkward pause. I'm going to wrestle some papers. Okay. Now one, two, three. Hey, I'm KJ Delantonia, and this is the Hashtag Am Writing Podcast. Your weekly podcast about getting all the work done. Fiction, nonfiction, pitches, proposals. I reverse that, but it's still about getting your work done, sitting down, butt in the chair, all of those things. I am your host today, KJ Delatonia. I will be soloing. I am the author of the novels The Chicken Sisters and In Her Boots and the forthcoming playing the witch card, depending on when you're listening to this, as well as the nonfiction book, How to Be a Happier Parent. And I'm a former editor and writer at the New York Times. And I am very excited today. You've probably seen the title of the episode. We're calling this The Anxious Writer. I feel like everyone's going to click on that. Who would not? And joining me is my friend, um, Maura Ahrens Mille. She is the author of The Anxious Achiever and Hiding in the Bathroom, How to Get Out There When You'd Rather Stay Home. She is also the host of the Anxious Achiever podcast, and she has achieved an extraordinary number of things in business and politics and her personal life. But her biggest achievement has been becoming part of the movement to bring mental health struggles out into the open and encouraging people to rethink the relationship between their mental health and their success. So, Welcome. Hi, Maura, sitting there silently listening to me. Hello, KJ. Hello, <laughs> KJ. I'm so happy to be with you. I'm happy to, I'm happy to have you. I'm, I'm so excited. Um, I'm so excited to do this. So I'm going to just dive right in. You really have done a lot of things. We can't even go into them all. But from Fortune 500 companies to national political entities, you've had a lot of job jobs, you know, as, as, the, as the kids in my house say, a J-O-B job. Um, but you are also a writer, a real writer with two books to your credit at the, not that, I mean, we're real writers when we define ourselves as real writers, but you're not just writing for your jobs. You writing books that your jobs do not require or ask or expect or necessarily even want you to write. Um, you have your own business now, so that's a little different, but anyway, tell me how that evolved for you from, um, this sort of. J-O-B job life to that plus writing. 
Well, I always joke that I, I'm impossible. Um, <laughs> I'm impossible to keep employed. So <laughs> I sort of had to become self-employed. And I've actually um, been working on my own for a while. And I started writing, I guess, professionally, because when you get paid, you become a professional. Yes, you do. In 2005... Because I started blogging, and I was a political blogger, mm. because I worked in politics. I had worked um, in the 0304 presidential cycle, which is, oh my gosh, that's 20 years ago. No, it's crazy. I actually have a, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's it's crazy. It's, it's insane. I, wow, it feels like yesterday, I worked for John Kerry for president. I was the internet marketing director for the Democratic National Committee. I had a big job on K Street in Washington. So I wrote about politics because Lisa Stone from blogher.com, which is, I think, probably how you and I met originally, um, was starting this blogging site and said, I need someone to write about politics. And I was like, I don't know anything about politics, but sure, I'll try. Classic woman. I don't know anything about politics. Classic person with 46 jobs in politics working on K Street going, I don't know anything. Yeah. I don't know anything. And Lisa rightly read me the riot act on that. So I have been, I guess, professionally writing now since 2005 was my first blog post I got paid for. And I have written through thick and thin, through three babies, through being employed in corporate America, to running my own business, uh, to not having a business or a job. I find writing at this point essential. Um, I was never a visually creative person. I can't dance, <laughs> but I like to write. Darn, because the second half of this podcast is a dance-a-thon. Did you not? <laughs> you know, um, we, we will be YouTubing. No. I didn't get the memo. <laughs> you didn't get the memo. Also, I never get the memo, which is why it was also hard for me to be in corporate America. <laughs> so I want to skip right to the, the juicy stuff here. Um, what is an anxious achiever? And how do you know if you are one? Well, there's no blood test. So oh, okay. it, <laughs> it's kind of, you know it when you see it. Uh -huh. I coined the term anxious achiever. I think I coined it um, based on my own experience. And then my experience having lots of sort of whispery conversations with really successful people when we would guard, sorry, when we would get talking about our anxiety and the fact that we both hated it and felt like it made our mental health difficult, our relationships difficult. It was this thing that often dragged us down, but we also felt like it was an essential piece of our success. It was like our oxygen at some level. And that we were driven to achieve however we defined it, but that also when we achieved, we never felt like we were done. Mm. And I think, I think you sort of add to that around that a feeling of dissatisfaction with not yes. feeling done. I mean, I think that there are, are the kind of achiever anxiety that you're talking about sort of seems to me to happen when the thing that's driving you is also not necessarily making you happy. That is, is that... true. Well, it's, it's I, mean, <laughs> I know again... it's, 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 it's a tough, 
I mean, I, I I would almost posit to say that anxious achievers are never happy. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> or they're—that's not true. Yeah, we can never be very satisfied. Happy, never satisfied, and 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 that's the thing. And 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 here's here's the work of the anxious achiever is to parse out why am I so driven? Do I like being so driven? Mm. And is there a way that I could still achieve the excellence that I so passionately care about without making myself and everyone else in my life kind of miserable? Um, strikes me that that misery is is the is what we want to what we want to talk about. So tell me <laughs> some ways that this um, manifests. And let's you know we're talking about writers here, so let's let's focus in on because uh, and interesting thing about writing or writers, depending on your career choice and whether you're actively a, a journalist in a J-O-B job where you're getting paid to be writing, a lot of writing tends to fall more on sort of the optional side. I mean, we can mm -hmm. say, you know, it doesn't feel optional to us, but as I said in the beginning, no one was asking you to write these books. Um, and yet you did. So I wanted to talk about how this um, anxiety manifests itself in, in writers in particular. Yeah, and I would almost go so far to say, I don't think anyone writes for fun. I mean, it may start out as fun, but once you get to a certain level where you're getting paid for it, whether it's an article or a blog or a book or whatever, it, it, it is a self-feeding beast because you could always write more, you could always write better, and then you add social media into the mix and you have, you're in a fishbowl of people judging your writing. And so I think that, and, and, we, and I think that we writers, we tend to be a little bit introspective and ruminating types. <laughs> I would go, I feel comfortable saying that, where we're questioning we're prodding mm -hmm. and we're also pushing ourselves. You know, why do so many of us get up at 5 a.m. to write? Why? What's that about? It's a good question. I mean, you know, it's, it's probably just like the world is not begging for books. The world has never been begging for books. I mean, even if you go way back into... Nobody wanted our, probably Aristotle's people just wanted him to hush, <laughs> you know, um, or Homer. Oh gosh. Could you just stop, stop with the. Exactly. It's too long. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Good Lord, James, put a period on that sentence. <laughs> um yeah, so here we are in this profession that no one is asking for. And yet people, you know, do like and want and and there are rewards to be had from doing it at all and from doing it, it well. So um, I, I don't know, I, I feel like well, anxiety is a natural state there. I think anxiety is a natural state for a lot of us. And, and I think about the gold star in school or in my school, it was the check plus, right? That <laughs> that a lot of us grew up. Do they have of, those on Twitter now? It's like a new, it's an extra eight <laughs> bucks. You get a check. Exactly. Not just a check. <laughs> That's a good one, Kate. Oh my like goodness. That. When that happens in like two weeks. Yeah. It's going to blame. Go ahead. Blame me. Oh, I love that. <laughs> um, you know, we were conditioned to get the check plus 
And then we start getting the check plus. And so if we don't get the check plus, we're anxious, but we're still anxious if we do get the check plus. Because you <laughs> because might not get always... another check plus. Exactly. And yeah. if we don't get a check plus, what does that say about us? And so I think a lot of us, writers or not, you know, are so used to achieving for external validation. And that is a habit. It's a habit. And it's something that I myself am really trying to consciously break myself from. Because I do love writing and I feel like I have something to say. But I'm increasingly like checking to make sure that my LinkedIn posts get lots of likes. Mm. And so at some point, where do you separate the I'm writing because I feel I have something to say from, wow, this piece didn't do as well as the last. But that's a tough one because if you're writing professionally, you do need to get likes actually don't pay the bills, but you know, you do need to write something that people want to read. So, you know, like keeping that anxiety and that need for external validation in check while recognizing that without the external validation, um, you know, you're, you're going to have a hard time making rent. That's, uh, it's such a, it's such a, it's such a, um, such a tough place to be. Well, you'll have to read my book because <laughs> that is really what the book is about. The book is about I I am who I am. I can't probably cure my anxiety. And that's okay. I'm going to Yeah, I'm not even it. sure you would want to having read yeah, your book. I mean, you have harnessed it, which I think is what we're here to talk about. It's like, you know, how do you take this thing that is driving you but is also can be really disruptive. Like how do we make it a positive force in our lives? Yep. How do we lean into what Dr. Wendy Suzuki calls that activation energy? Mm-hmm. You know, because because we need anxiety. The human race would not be alive were it not for anxiety. So we need some of it. It's all about managing it. So how do we start? Like how do we start that process? What do we, what, what do we figure this out? Um, you start in a way that sounds so simple, but is really powerful, which is that you start by paying attention. And we writers are good at paying attention, actually. But we may have tuned out our own bodies, our own boundaries, our own anxiety. And so the key is to tune in, playing detective, as my friend Rebecca Harley calls it. And you can start, and this is great if you're writing, by listening to your body throughout the day. How do you feel? We put anxiety into our bodies. Are your shoulders cramped? Is your jaw tight? Is your chest tight? Are you shaky when you try to type? How's your appetite? Are there certain calls that you feel really anxious before or certain emails that you see and you just literally feel either a sense of worry or dread or anxiety? What comes next? This must be bad news. I find myself like driving along or, you know, or or walking or just doing whatever and recognizing, hey, I feel cranky. Like I feel angry. I feel anxious. I feel I feel a thing that I I don't want to feel. And then I'll just be like, this happened to me today. It's like, why? Like, right. There's sort of sort of digging in and going, well, what in my day? Like, did I get an email that I'm worried about? Respond because I, I used to take this out on on other people. You know, I'd just be angry and grumpy. Um, and I started to figure out, like, 
is it that I put an email in sort of my reply later file and now I'm mentally replying to that for like the next oh you know, 20 hours or am I upset about something that happened yesterday to somebody else in my life or did I hear a news story that is sticking with me? Because yep. sometimes when you remember like, like literally today, I was just sort of, I was driving somewhere. I was like, why am I, I'm really feeling like I'm sort of driving with my foot on the gas. What, what is it? And I, I realized it wasn't anything. Like it was just residue from, from mm-hmm. something that had, had happened that I had done everything that I could to dealt with. And like, there really wasn't anything wrong. Um, so I feel like we get a little habit of having, of wearing that anxiety. Like we put it on and then we forget to take it off when we're, when we've resolved the thing. I love that analogy. I love that. And and clearly you've done a lot of work and a lot of therapy because you're at the place where you can be like, why am I feeling this way? And the reason why I feel like this is so important in a workplace workplace context is that we act it out on our colleagues and our coworkers all day long mm-hmm. if we don't deal with it. Yeah. We act it out on our children sometimes too and our pets. But um, <laughs> it can really make for so much of the toxicity at work that I do feel if people were just more in touch with why they were acting the way they act would, would resolve. And and just in another sort of writing piece of this, which is a total digression is that once you start doing this work that you're talking about, where you're trying to figure out what this feels like and where it's coming from, if you happen to write fiction, this can really help you um, relate to and create other other characters. Personally, I find that I have a tendency to think that everyone feels the same way I do. Like they have the same reaction that I do. Their their body will do the same thing. When um, so to to notice the thing that I do, and then to um, you know put that in writing and and read what other people say that they do, or notice when people in books or people in your life react differently and to sort of put those, because you said earlier, I think accurately, everybody feels some anxiety to some extent. Oh yeah. Especially now. Yeah. For, for starters, anxious is the, you know, the, the, the condition of the times um, and levels of it are sort of just everywhere. So I was just thinking about how useful this is from a, a fictional perspective. And um, there's a, a writer, Alexis Hall. We we did a podcast with him a few uh, months ago. And I will link it in the show notes. And this guy uses, I mean, he has clinical anxiety, which is not, you know, maybe, maybe not. Maybe that's what we're talking about. Maybe what we're talking about, I think, is useful for any mm-hmm. level of anxiety. Any level. But we're not like, you know, trying to be diagnostics, diagnosticians. Anyway, Alexis is flat out diagnosed, will, you know, tell you probably for as long as you will listen about his anxiety. And man, the that boy uses it in his fiction in some really amazing ways. And I mean, that makes, that's relatable for people, right? So there you go. Use, uh, take your anxiety and turn it into, turn it into characters. <laughs> KJ, you're blowing my mind here. I'm stealing this and using it in my speeches in a workplace context because what you're showing is empathy. It's compassion. It's curiosity. It's perspective taking. It's self-awareness. And these are great qualities for a fiction writer, but they're especially great qualities for a leader. This is true. And I think that what you have helped people 
do. And what, you know, what the book does is once you start taking a look at your own anxiety and where that's coming from, you really are able to have some more. I mean, you were talking about how this plays out in the workplace all day long, every day. And it does, and it comes from you and it comes at you. Mm-hmm. Right. So that ability to um, look around and hey, here's another writer one. Don't assume the editor that hasn't responded to you or that responded negatively or the bad comment that you got um, on your LinkedIn post is about you because <laughs> it's really about the person who wrote it. We say that all the time. So, you know, we've just said everybody's anxious. So that person is playing their anxiety out on you and we're sorry, but it's, <laughs> it you happens. know, I, ha- I have to tell you that um, as a, as a, as a freelance writer, also I pitch articles I find that managing your anxiety around freelancing mm-hmm. is is actually harder than writing books. I would agree. I would agree. I mean, a, th- a thing that could put me into that anxiety state that I was describing would be the mere thought that I might be going to pitch something. And I have a very illustrious, I mean, I just do, freelancing resume, right? But I still, yeah. like, I the mere thought of, you know, writing the book people at the Atlantic and being like, you should let me, I, I can't even say it. I can't even say it. It's, it's too scary. It's too scary. Somebody might be and- mean to me. <laughs> well, and <laughs> they almost the certainly truth. would be actually. Well, look, b- people being mean to you and bouncing back is another really essential quality for a writer who's out there. I, I feel like my experience now on my second book is that it's 50% rejection and <laughs> And then thirty percent people just not caring and not responding, and so yeah, so you 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 really really have to do this work of a sitting in the discomfort. You know, sometimes when we get rejected and we feel hurt, we want to go drink a huge glass of wine or have a giant Snickers bar or just shut our laptops and go watch Netflix, and that's okay, that's okay. But if we always do that. That's not great. Mm-hmm. And so it's sitting in those horrible feelings of rejection. This is really hard for me. And also saying, I'm just going to push through my anxiety and my fear and just wake up tomorrow and try it again. I'm just so fascinated by this sort of catch 22 here, which is that it's your anxiety that makes you be able to push through your anxiety. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I am definitively not a person with clinical anxiety. And I, I don't, I sort of don't identify that way or, or feel that way. And yet I have, you know, I have like everyone, a great deal of anxiety around the work that I do and the success and, and the ways that I do it and, and, you know, the ways that people respond to it. Because if you don't have those things, I don't even know. I mean, what right. you, you wouldn't write because why would you? It is not. I mean, I feel like the only thing that you would do if you didn't have anxiety sort of propelling you towards do it does involve that Snickers bar. <laughs> or 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 reading someone else's work or watching someone else's work on Netflix. Yeah. I mean, the irony of anxiety is that we do need anxiety. It helps us get things done. It, it helps us with deadlines. It helps us with creativity. It helps us with focus and strategic planning and looking More anxiety. Forward. It needs like a better PR person. It really does. Um, 
And, and the good news is, is that there are a lot of neuroscientists and scholars out there who are reframing anxiety. But I also, I have clinical anxiety. I also have clinical depression and bipolar too. There have been, excuse me, there have been times when my anxiety has been so bad that I have not been able to leave my bed. I have not literally been able to breathe or think. And so I never want to sugarcoat it. Mm -hmm. It's all on a spectrum. Well, that's what makes this so interesting and such a great conversation. It really is universal. Like you said, it's on a it's on a spectrum. So I can understand your experience without, you know, or I can empathize without having been there. And you can also understand when I sort of just, you know, throw out these, these different ways of experiencing that, which is just, you know, the shoulders and the ears piece of it. Um, It's, it's a, like you said, it's a, it's a spectrum. So this is like, it's such a, it's a fundamental piece of being human. Well, it is because it's one of our most ancient emotions. Yay us. <laughs> well, like you said, like you said, we need it. Um, so yeah, let's, let's try to, let's try to be practical for our, our writer people out there. So we've all agreed you, you're going to, you're anxious. Like we're anxious around our work, shoulders and our ears, whatever. Um, there's anything like what, what could be like a few useful tips for making these feelings work for you instead of stop you when it comes to sitting down at your computer. Yeah. I mean, here's the good news is that you can turn your anxious feelings into an action plan. And I think we all know the feeling of a blank page. Sometimes when we're anxious, we're stuck in front of that blank page on our computer And we feel literally like we cannot go forward. So in that case, here's what you do. You stop, you breathe. Exhales longer than inhales to tell your parasympathetic nervous system, like, I'm okay, I'm chilling. And you make a plan. What I do is I calendar. Anxiety loves information vacuums. It loves uncertainty. This is why junior year of high school is such a terrible time. Oh, my God. Oh, right? Yeah. And it's it's the big question. What am I going to – is my life going to be okay, right? Yeah. Because we care. So so we make a plan. We make a schedule. I'm going to write – someone told me this morning that Stephen King writes six pages a day. He's voluminous. (laughs) Yeah. The the things that Stephen King does every day, I don't think he has time. (laughs) You know, it's like a thousand words and six. I mean, I'm sure it's all the same. It's but, all things. But here's the yeah. thing. Here's the thing. He has a plan. Here's the thing. Man has a he, plan. Not only that, he says, and I don't know him. I write the word. I write the six pages. I don't worry if they're good or bad. I just write them. Because when we can tone down the situation, remove some of the temperature, take out some of the emotion mm-hmm. and the weight of the outcome, we can actually get things done. We can get into flow. I'm sure we've all had that experience of you just take one simple action, your anxiety diminishes, and then you're out, you're on it, right? Right. This is, this is really common with public speakers. You're super anxious. You're taking the stage. You're certain it's all going to go wrong. If you just have a plan to get through the first two minutes of your speech, you are golden. Right. 
And so I like to tell people, and this is classic, sorry, this is classic cognitive behavioral therapy. When your anxiety is making you freeze or flood, take a deep breath and make a plan or a schedule or just write one word or organize your receipts. I don't care. Do a thing. Just do something. Yeah. 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 I love it. All right. Well, that's that's the advice of the day. Do a thing. Do a thing. <laughs> when when thing I I I adore this sort of anxiety loves a vacuum. So, you know, don't 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 let it have one. Exactly. I mean, I'm waiting for some really big news tomorrow and I am running anxiety on autopilot in the back of my head and I my my strategy to get through till 3 p.m. tomorrow is just to like fill my time. Yep. Don't be alone to stew. <laughs> Don't be alone to stew. Do a thing, do a thing for someone else. If that, you know, is a thing, do a thing outside, move the body. Um, I love, yeah, put your fingers on the keyboard, type a word, do a thing. (laughs) Let's take a little break and then we'll be talking about what we've been reading, which is also doing a thing. Writers, if you're not following along with Jess on Instagram and TikTok, you should be because she's killing it with advice on kids and addiction and because this is a watch and learn situation, my people. Her reels and TikTok are becoming a masterclass in growing a following that you won't want to miss. Look for her on Instagram as at Teacher Leahy and TikTok as at Jess Leahy. All right, you get to go first. You told me you could talk about what you've been reading all day. So um, ready, set, no. (laughs) Give us something that you have loved lately. Okay, so I, I mostly read fiction. And I have absolutely loved rereading one of my favorite authors of all time, who is Robertson Davies, the great, you're going like this. I'm so excited excited. and I have a story, but keep talking. (laughs) (laughs) So one of the great pleasures of getting older is you don't remember things you read a long time ago all the time. So I just remembered loving the Deptford trilogy, especially mm-hmm. Davy's writing, but I didn't quite remember all of it. And I thought, I'm going to read all of it. It's thousands of pages. Yes, it's, it's really three big books. And and now I'm starting. Um, is it the Cornwall trilogy? The Cornish trilogy. Cornish. Um, Cornish. And um, it has been the most incredible absorption of my anxiety. It because he's such a good writer, and. His questions are deep, but the pages flow and there's just enough gossip. So I have like, I've just been super happy rereading Robertson Davies and remembering what it feels like to be enthralled in a book. I love that. And I know exactly what you mean. Um, I loved Robertson Davies as a, a teenager and as a young adult as well and haven't read him for a while. And I was at um, an event at our local bookstore recently called Pages in the Pub. And one of my co-presenters, um, it was, so it was me and a very, very literary um, professor at Dartmouth and Andy <laughs> Borowitz of the Borowitz Report in the New Yorker and my friend Sarah Stewart-Taylor, who is a uh, very erudite, well-educated um, thriller writer. Ooh. And I have a one of my like sort of deep fears is that I'm not particularly well read. This is just, this is just true. I didn't, I'm not an English graduate. I, I 
really like to read things that I like to read. I don't mm-hmm. want to, I, I just, I often don't want it to be hard. Um, and I've never read James Joyce. I've never read ever. James Joyce. I can make some jokes about James Joyce, but I'm not going to read it. I've never read Proust. Um, you know, I haven't done these things. So I have this, so this um, Peter, uh, Peter Horner, he's Katie Crouch's husband. That's how he matters to me. Um, and she's a, she writes great novels. But anyway, so he's sitting there being very erudite and having read a great deal of things that I haven't read. And all of a sudden he produces his third. So the the game of this book event is to recommend five, four authors get up and we each recommend five books and there's 50 people in the audience and they have order forms and they order forms from the order from the bookstore. And the bookstore sold oh, $3,000 a- worth of books in an hour, which is fantastic. And it usually benefits. So in this case, it benefited our local library. Um, and the person who does this is available to arrange it anywhere. She's great. Um, uh, Lisa Christie, I'll link to her and to her bookish website and to her bookish podcast. Can we put a shout out to the Harvard Bookstore if you're listening? Yes. What a great idea. Oh, yeah, totally. We would love to do that. She would love to do that there. So anyway, it's super fun. And Peter's sitting there next to me and I'm feeling very like, I've never read anything this person is going to talk about <laughs> in my whole life and I never will. And he's got this book in his hand and it's this really worn out thing. And he says, and this is so New England. He says, all right, so one of my favorite things to do is to go pick up books out of the, the dump because our dumps <laughs> all have a room where you put the things that someone might want. And they all have a bookshelf. This is absolutely true. I say, I went in the dump and there was this one book and it sat there. And for weeks and weeks and weeks, it would sit there. And I would just kept disregarding it because it was so old looking. And then finally, it was the only book left in the dump. It was probably 2020 at this point. So I pulled it out and it was the first volume of the Deptford trilogy. And it was Robertson Davis. And I literally squealed on my steel in front of the entire bookstore because I was so excited that, that we suddenly had this thing in common and we suddenly spoke the same language. So books, man. Fifth business. Books. <laughs> yeah, fifth business. That's exactly what it was. So find it at your local dump or barring that, <laughs> you can order it from your bookstore. <laughs> if you don't have a dump like ours. Um, anyway, so I feel like this is the... like. I have to go re- reread me some Roberts and Davies now because the universe is um, pushing me in the Roberts and Davies direction. I'm also going to say something which is, is going to sound like I'm way smarter than I am. Cool. Very, we love that. Erudite. You are way smarter. Okay. Than you, are. you are way smarter than you are. <laughs> we do things. Yeah. So <laughs> we do things. This is okay. I'm just going to say it. My husband will say this is insufferable. I've been very fascinated by Carl Jung, the sort of. I can even spell that. So yay me. (laughs) Famous psychiatrist. Um, And I, I actually like, if I were smarter and more educated would would draw in more young into my work about anxiety at work, but I don't. But there's an incredible podcast called this Jungian life. Okay, which is amazing. It's three Jungian analysts, and they look into life's issues. It's amazing. I listen to it every week. And and of course, Robertson Davies is extremely Jungian. Yes, and everything I know about Carl Jung, I know because Robertson Davies. Also, everything I know about life in a carnival. <laughs> yes, and I feel yes. like I'm an expert. Let me just tell you, <laughs> because Robertson Davies is just that good. Like I feel like I lived that life. Oh, I'm very yes. glad I didn't. <sighs> so, 
totally different note in terms of on reading, but also along the lines of complete absorption. So the challenge for me as a novelist is to find a book that is completely absorbing to me and something that I really love and want to enjoy reading, but also can read without feeling like I should have written it because I did that thing that so many of us do. First, I did it with magazines. Then I did it with the New York Times. I turned what I loved into a job and then it became hard to love it. You know, So um, yay me. And I've done that with books. And mostly, you know, I can still read the things that I love and I'm fine, but there's always this little ticky one. And so if I'm in a period of being anxious about what I'm working on, feeling like my own work is going poorly or waiting for something as you are, it's bad Mm -hmm. for me to read something that is something that I could potentially have written. I'm not going to. I'm not going to be happy. It's, tri- it's triggering. It's triggering. Yeah. In a, in a minor, absolutely. Um, so I've been reading, and and uh, Serena Bowen, my co-host, has recommended this. We've talked about this all the time. They're Murderbot Diaries by Martha Wells. These are a series of, they're actually really novellas about a sentient um, uh, humanoid robot in the a world of the future, you know, an alternate you know universe doesn't even matter who cares um but he calls himself murderbot and he's just sort of trying to figure out how to be he doesn't exactly want to be human but he also doesn't just want to be a security unit doing what his people tell him to do and he's watched like you know 40,000 hours of television in his head at you know top <laughs> speed um and there is no like I'm I'm not going to write that like that's not that's really outside my wheelhouse but they're so voicey and wonderful and amazing and you do not need to be a sci-fi fan neither Serena nor I reads a great deal of sci-fi I used to um to love these so yeah the murderbot diaries by martha wells they're really and they make i might add um great audio great family audio Ooh, all right i'm writing that down yeah and alexis hall i'm gonna go check out that episode yeah alexis you're gonna you're gonna dig his um his their their anxiety heavy rom-coms Love it. Best description I've got. All right. This was fantastic. People, y'all can find all things Mora at her website, which is it's it's actually it's a little it's a little different. Tell tell the people what your website URL is. You well, you can just go to the anxiousachiever.com. That's much easier. Yeah. And you can find me on LinkedIn. If you have a question for me, if if you want to ask me something, just send me a message on LinkedIn. I will write you back. Ooh, that is awesome and amazing. And I guarantee y'all that she will. So check out The Anxious Achiever, which is just out. All the bookstores, all the places. Y'all, it's published by, um, you know, Harvard. So we're classy. And what else we got? The Anxious Achiever podcast linked up in the show notes. And um, yeah, that's all the things. I feel like I have not been talking to the people lately because we're just in a, in a, a seasonal moment. So I want to say thanks for listening. Um, and as always, keep your butt in the chair and your head in the game. The Hashtag Am Writing podcast is produced by Andrew Perella. Our intro music, aptly titled Unemployed Monday, was written and played by Max Cohen. 
Andrew and Max were paid for their time and their creative output because everyone deserves to be paid for their work. Oh.